Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxanne. So we are back with a great lineup of topics, including UK startup Listable, which has added PayPal co-founder Max Levchin to its investors. We'll talk about French startup Zenly, which announced a 22.5 million round with Benchmark. Um, it was a big week for Spotify. It added a Netflix exec to the board. It went after SoundCloud. So we'll give you guys an update on that. Robin, you had a chance to catch up with a sex toy startup, Mystery Vibes. So we'll listen to that. And finally, we'll wrap it up with a look at AI in Europe. So let's jump in with UK startup Listable adding PayPal co-founder Max Levchin to its investor list. For anyone who doesn't know Listable, it's a platform that helps companies manage freelancers and vendors. The company, which was founded in 2014 by a former Google designer, allows customers to list all freelancers, vendors, and service providers in one place so that everyone within the same company can easily access them. They already have over 60 clients, including some big names like Airbnb, Google, CNBC, and MTV. The company made headlines last year as it became Peter Thiel's second investment in the UK after TransferWise. They have already got a number of really impressive investors uh, in addition to Peter Thiel. So that's including Mark Evans from Balderton Capital, Playfair Capital, and a number of others. They closed an 11 million Series A this summer. And so now Max Levchin is being added to that round for an undisclosed amount. It looks like a really killer UK startup to me. Robin, what do you think? Yes, definitely one to watch closely. And in fact, it's been pretty much one to watch since its inception. Uh, I remember seeing their pitch at Techstars Demo Day in London last year. Um, came and made quite impressed with the company. I know that uh, John Bradford, who's one of the co-founders of TechEU, was always pretty enthusiastic about the company, even though he had like quite a few cohorts at Techstars in London. At the end of 2015, the company also presented a TechCrunch Disrupt in London, where they were a finalist in the battlefield. So they've been getting quite a bit of attention in the UK and now also outside of the UK. They appear to be doing very well when it comes to traction, but that traction is mostly in the US, so where they are going to be establishing their headquarters. So they want to be based in San Francisco rather than London and kind of split employees about 30, 35 in each city, if I understand correctly. Now, Listable has a pretty impressive customer list. You've already named some of them. That list is bound to grow even more so in the near future. At the end of the day, uh, Listable's product solves a real pain point for enterprises who are managing uh, an increasing number of freelancers and contractors. And obviously, the number of companies who rely on these is only going to grow, uh, if you ask me. Um, So I know the startup has not one, but two founders of PayPal on board, and that should help them open uh, at least a couple of doors in Silicon Valley and beyond. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll have to watch. Maybe they'll get more of the PayPal mafia in there sometime soon. But we had another European startup that grabbed the attention of top-tier U.S. investors this past week. It was French startup Zenly that announced a 22.5 million round with Benchmark. Um, so I'll admit that Zenly actually had been kind of under the radar for a while in France. Um, there had been a lot of rumors about its incredible adoption rates, especially in Asia and with teens. Um, apparently, the company, which was founded in 2013, already has over 2 million downloads 
downloads of the product to date. So the company develops a location sharing app and is striving to make location sharing effortless and cool again. The app is a really easy way to share a location with a handful of people. This round of funding is actually really unique for a few reasons. I think Benchmark didn't require that they open a U.S. company. They invested directly into the French company in order to not waste time. So I guess it must have been a really hot deal. And the whole deal was made within just 28 days, which is probably some kind of a record for a French company, especially working with American investors. So Zenly has 35 employees. Uh, they had previously raised an 11 million Series A round last year. Their previous investors, including Xavier Niels, Kima Ventures, ID Invest Partners, and Insight Venture Partners co-founder Jerry Murdoch. And now Peter Fenton will be joining the board. So French startups have actually been seeing a huge increase in funding. We've mentioned previously on the podcast that France is the European country with the highest number of rounds being closed this year. French blog Madiness also announced that just this past week, 23 French startups received funding and that totaled over 79 million euros. That was including the Zenly deal. And so obviously, we thought we'd highlight another French startup that raised funding this last week, and that's payment startup Lydia. So the company closed a 7.8 million round for their P2P payment service. Yes. Well, I can confirm that I still very regularly need to point out to people that there is a lot happening in France. Uh, I mean, what, from fintech to hardware to SaaS companies, digital entertainment, uh, it's a really, really interesting market and seems to be ignored from time to time, even within Europe. But ultimately, it's going to be companies like Zenly uh, and Lydia that will have to continue putting them on the map uh, and also on the radar of US and Asia-based investors. Now, obviously, Benchmark is a really big name. Peter Fenton from Benchmark, who's joining the board, is actually also a really big name and an investor that I really admire personally. Um, so that, that's really well done from Zenly. I do have to admit that I'm sort of surprised that you can still be successful and attract investment with a relatively simple real-time location sharing app uh, on the one hand and a peer-to-peer -peer mobile payment app, uh, which is Lydia, on the other hand, in 2016. Um, I thought those nuts were kind of all already cracked at this point. Um, but obviously, professional investors uh, have a different opinion on this. So we'll see if they end up making a nice return on their French bets. Yeah, I'll agree with you, uh, especially on the location sharing. I think a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads with how is this so hot? But um, I think it's probably the adoption numbers that are, are really getting a lot of people's attention. So we'll have to stay tuned on that. But now it was also a huge week for Spotify this last week. In mid-September, Spotify actually announced that it had 40 million paying subscribers, which just blows my mind. And I'm definitely one of them. This last week, Spotify launched in Japan. It added Netflix exec to its board. And there were also rumors that it wants to acquire SoundCloud. So it was kind of a huge week for Spotify. Um, so first, the, the Japan launch is huge news because it's the world's second largest music market, which I didn't know. But apparently, sales are at around $3 billion, which places it just behind the U.S. So I didn't know that. Apparently, the Japanese still prefer to buy their content in physical form. So that's meaning CDs, if anybody remembers those. Spotify has actually been in Asia since 2013 and is currently in Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And there are rumors that its next big market will be India. That wasn't the only big news for Spotify, though. The company also added Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandos to the board. Obviously, it could also be a way to uh, kind of hint that Spotify may be going after video in the near future. And finally, there are also rumors that Spotify may be looking into buying Berlin-based SoundCloud. Now, there are loads of articles that have opinions on why this is the best and the worst thing for Spotify. Obviously, such an acquisition would help Spotify's already impressive numbers. SoundCloud has 
175 million monthly listeners. And this would help it go up against Apple Music, which was quick to gain 17 million subscribers in the first 14 months. So I think also there's a number of articles that, that point out that a Spotify SoundCloud duo would mean an ultimate music streaming mega platform of some sort that would go from undiscovered garage bands to the biggest names in the music industry. So that could also be a really very cool kind of duo that they could build. Yeah, lots to take in and definitely a very big week for, well, still the most valuable private tech company in Europe, uh, right? So the launch in Japan at long last, uh, and of course, getting Sarandos on board. Um, that's also huge news in my book, by the way, because Sarandos is the guy that oversees the production and the acquisition of all the programming on Netflix online TV service. So he's really an industry heavyweight. It makes me very curious about what Spotify has in store uh, when it comes to video and everything else. Um, and also on a side note, uh, Barry McCarthy, who used to be Netflix's um, chief financial officer, is now CFO of Spotify. And of course, they're preparing to go public next year. So, so really interesting to watch the tie-up between Netflix and Spotify, and we'll see how that evolves. But the most talked about Spotify news this week wasn't, of course, news coming from the company, but the FT report, um, the Financial Times, they reported that Spotify was close to buying SoundCloud. They actually said they were pretty close to closing the deal, which is kind of surprising because I would expect uh, a lot of uh, rumors to swirl before the negotiations get that far. Um, but apparently things happen really fast these days. But it makes sense on paper for those two to combine. It's pretty obvious. Um, Spotify is in need of growing its user base against not just Apple, but also Amazon and Google and other big companies on the, on the music streaming vertical. Um, they're on a path towards similar product offerings, especially since SoundCloud launched Go, their monthly subscription product. Um, at the same time, SoundCloud has kind of struggled a bit with attracting investment and, and really senior talent in recent years. Uh, and all of these things make the FT report very plausible, to me at least. Um, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean a deal will happen. And if it does, it remains to be seen what shape it will take, what the valuation of SoundCloud will be, uh, what Spotify is prepared to spend, what will happen in terms of product and user transition and so forth. So, But it's a fun topic to speculate on for sure, if only because it would mean two European tech stars, one from Stockholm and the other from Berlin, would become one. And by the way, let's not forget that SoundCloud may be headquartered in Germany, uh, but their founders are actually both Swedish and no doubt go way back with Spotify's founders and, and of course, some of it, their investors and, and executives. So it's a big and a small world at the same time. So I'm sure they know each other very well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a deal happen at some point. Yeah, that's a really good thing to point out, actually, that it's kind of two European megastars in the music industry that actually may have some original roots um, and coming back together. So uh, I think we'll have to keep an eye out on Spotify, but we always keep an eye out on Spotify. So uh, we'll be interesting to see what happens there. But Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Stephanie Alice from London-based sex toy startup Mystery Vibe. Hey, this is Robin, and we're here at the Bits and Pretzels conference in Munich, Germany. And I'm here with Stephanie Alice, who's a co-founder of Mystery Vibe. What's Mystery Vibe? Hello. Um, Mystery Vibe is a British company. We design, develop, manufacture luxury pleasure products. Sex toys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a problem calling them sex toys? No, no. I think um, we're trying to kind of redefine some of the language that we use around that area because I think the word sex sometimes has some very different connotations for different cultures. So we talk about pleasure a little bit more broadly. Right. Fair enough. Um, so which products do you make? Um, so we have one product out at the moment. It's called Crescendo. It's a highly personalizable vibrator. 
yeah, it has six motors. You can program it with an app. It's connected. Yeah, that's what we have out at the moment. Were you one of the first companies doing smart vibrators? Because it seems like something I've heard before. There are, there's a new wave. Um, so there are quite a few different companies doing some really cool stuff with connected products, right through from bigger companies that have existed for years and years, um, like WeVibe, through to tiny startups who are just kind of kicking off new phases of development of what we can do today. So, and you also have another product in development. Do you want to lift the veil on that or is it too soon? <laughs> um, our next product is really exciting. It's slightly more based on the male side of the market, which is much less developed than the female side because it's been around for much less time. So that will be out in early 2017. Oh, well, we're looking forward to it. Um, so you say you're a British startup. I'm, I'm taking you're based out of London. Yeah, we're based out of London. We have design labs in Wimbledon. Um, yeah, it, London's a great place to build this kind of startup. Well, tell me more about the company. Yeah, do you have co-founders? Do you have funding? Uh, how much staff do you have right now? So give me the basics. Yeah, sure. So we um, we incorporated just over two years ago. Um, we have four operational co-founders and then a wider team of um, co-founders and angel investors that came on board right from the very start and have continued to do so. Um, we've raised approximately $2.6 million to date. Hardware, you know, you have this big upfront cost, so you do need to raise more money to begin with. And yeah, so we're, we're a team of four. We work with consultants and we outsource a few bits and pieces. Um, so I'd say at any one time, there's somewhere between maybe eight and 12 people working on something mystery vibe. Right. Um, does the Crescendo get manufactured in Britain as well? Um, it's in China. In China, okay. <laughs> and um, I take it your co-founder is over there right now. Uh, is it challenging to to have still like the Harvard part in out in Asia and then you know doing the marketing and the business development from the UK? I think it's become a lot easier over the last few years. For us, the most important thing was finding a good partner who we could use to make that transition as seamless as possible. Um, and we managed to do that. We found a great consulting and engineering company who take. British London-based startups and help them to manufacture in China. Um, and they've been fantastic. So they have staff who speak both English and Chinese fluently, um, which is obviously very helpful when you don't speak a word of Chinese yourself. Great. And how well is the product doing? Like how much are you shipping a month? The product is great. So when we first started, we wanted to run an initial pilot run. And we, we did that uh, in 2015 and we shipped to 52 countries. And now... We're kind of going into production, uh, making, we'll be making approximately around two and a half thousand units a week and shipping them all across the world. That's pretty good. Now, how do you market them? Like, uh, how do customers find out about Mystery Vibe? Marketing is a very interesting topic for us because many traditional channels for advertising, etc., simply don't exist for the sex tech world. For example, we can't really advertise on Facebook that much um, or on other platforms. So for us, we love talking to press about what we do. We love coming to events like this where there are so many different people with different perspectives who are really excited about cool new tech. So that's a big part of our of our marketing too. But I guess next year it's going to be, I, I want to make some really cool video content um, because I think there's so much that you can talk about in this space that people aren't talking about, right. but that is funny, it's informative, it makes you think about some of the assumptions you make about sex and maybe change them slightly. So I think video content play a big part in our marketing next year. Great. 
I'm looking forward to seeing you market the hell out of this. Uh, <laughs> what's your final question? What's your biggest challenge right now? What do you want to overcome to get to the next level? Um, very good question. I think I think it is about raising awareness. This is a topic which many people still feel very difficult to talk about. At least they don't want to start the conversation. If someone starts a conversation with you about sex, you probably respond and you'll probably get into a very interesting discussion. But it's hard to kick that conversation off, especially in different countries where the culture is slightly different, might be slightly more reserved. So getting the word out um, and getting that initial conversation sparked is probably the biggest challenge that we've got going forward. Great, Stephanie, well done. Uh, and best of luck with the company. Thank you so much. And finally, AI in Europe. It was actually a big week for AI globally as tech giants Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and IBM launched the Partnership on Artificial Intelligence to Benefit People and Society. So that's a group that's largely relating to ethics, fairness, inclusivity, transparency, and the likes. But in Europe, there's also been a lot of movement in, in the AI space to watch. There's companies like Google and Facebook that have huge AI centers in Europe. So we have Google's DeepMind in London, Facebook's AI Research Center in Paris. There are also tons of European startups to watch in this space. So for example, we had Berlin-based Angel AI, which was formerly known as Go Butler. It's a company that was founded by former Rocket Internet execs, and they've apparently been at least partially acquired by Amazon. The CEO of Angel AI has joined Amazon as head of new bot products, which is sounds like a very cool division to be in. And UK-based AI startup Prowler.ai announced a 2 million round. Their product helps AI systems make smarter choices. The company is still apparently largely in stealth mode, but they have people joining from a company called Vocal IQ, which was an AI company that was acquired by Apple just 13 months after its launch. So there seems to be like a lot of stuff going on in this space. And obviously in France, we also have a number of AI startups um, that are starting to gain momentum. I'd say probably the best known include AI-based personal assistant Julie Desks or Alchemix, which does data collection for brands. They just announced a $20 million round of funding. Um, and then one that kind of goes back a while, Tiny Clues, which is an AI-powered targeting solution for e-commerce. Yes, uh, definitely an interesting category to watch. Although, of course, you can debate the definition of artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, all day long. So it kind of depends on what you what you include in that category. Um, in my view, high-profile companies in Europe that have AI at their core uh, include the likes of travel booking site Skyscanner, uh, Shazam, augmented reality startup Blipar, photo sharing service I am from Berlin, and so on. So, so all these companies kind of have a big AI element at their core. Um, you mentioned DeepMind, which was obviously acquired by Google, uh, but it doesn't really stop there because DeepMind itself actually hired um, two companies, Dark Blue Labs and Vision Factory. Uh, and there were two deep learning startups based in UK, and that those acquisitions happened back in 2014. There's SwiftKey that was acquired by Microsoft specifically because of its AI expertise. Uh, Israeli Dutch company Mobileye, the machine learning company that went public two years ago. You know, Twitter acquired London-based machine learning startup Magic Pony Technology, which is a really cool name, by the way. Um, so the list goes on. Uh, that means there's a lot happening when it comes to machine learning and AI in Europe. Uh, but again, it sort of depends on your definition of it as well. One startup that I have my eye on is Volosa. So it's not a very well-known startup, but they're based in Finland. Uh, they've raised about 650000 in seed funding recently to commercialize uh, the deep content search and machine learning technology that was mostly developed at the University of Ulu. 
So this company is working on a voice-controlled AI-powered search engine that it says can identify thousands of places and objects in videos, which is obviously a very interesting space. I'm really excited about that one. And you can look on DealRoom. Uh, this is kind of a plug for our partner, but if you look on DealRoom and you kind of do a search in Europe for the tag machine learning and AI, then you'll see a list of very interesting startups. And it seems to me that the majority of them are currently based in the UK. So that it, it appears that those are kind of clustering uh, around the universities of Cambridge and Oxford in particular. Um, so we'll see what happens in the future. Um, so this brings us to the end of our podcast. We thank you very much for tuning in. And we hope that you will be back with us next week. Please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud if you like what we're doing. And you can follow us on Twitter with at Roxanne Barza and at Robin Waters. And of course, tech you as well at tech underscore EU. Thank you very much, Roxanne, and talk to you next week. Thanks, Robin.